Welcome to the Smart Tech Check Podcast, hosted by Mark Vina, your home for candid, insightful, and provocative conversations about the smart home, home automation, security, smartphones, PC and console gaming, and much more. Hi, everyone. My name is Mark Vina, host of the Smart Tech Check Podcast. Today is Thursday, February 10th, 2022. Joining me for today's podcast is a dynamic duo of Stuart Walpin, who writes for Popular Mechanics, U.S. News, Techlicious, Investopedia, and other publications. Rob Pagararo, who writes frequently on tech policy for Wirecutter, PC Magazine, and USA Today. And John Quain, uh, who is not going to be with us today, but he writes for the New York Times, Smart Cities, and Tom Guys, and, and Tom's Guide, I should say. Gentlemen, let me bring you up on the screen. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. How is your afternoon going after my flubs opening the podcast? Well, other than the fact that I can't seem to get my goddamn green screen to work, everything is ducky. Yeah, to, to, to the entire audience, I, we apologize for the fact that uh, Stuart is sitting in front of a, a candy green uh, green screen. He usually had gone right down the tube here. I know. You don't want to see what's behind that green screen. Take my word for it. You've said that before, and um, you know <laughs> I take uh, I'll take that into consideration. Hey, before we go into the into the um, uh, podcast, because we've got a lot of fun topics to talk about today. I would normally do this at the end, but I really want to get to this. Predictions on the Super Bowl on Sunday. Rob, where are you, bet, where are you placing your bet? Uh, I'm placing my bet. I'm really looking forward to the uh, pork shoulder and doing the instant pot. Uh, I think it's going to taste pretty, but I have high confidence in it. And I'm, I'm going to go with the Rams. Going with the Rams? Mr. Stewart? Well, I've been a Rams fan since I was knee-high to a June bug. So, yeah, I, I'm going for the Rams simply because I have visions of Roman Gabriel and Jackson o, Merlin Olsen and Rosie Greer dancing around my head. You have instantly yeah. dated yourself by 30 years. Merlin well, Olsen else will date me, so I guess I, it's left to me. Was it Merlin Olsen also after his football career ended? Wasn't he on Little House of the Prairie? If he I'm was not indeed. And yes, he was. He had a second career as an actor. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Much so, like Alex Karras. Yes. Yes. Alex Karras. Has, there's a lot of guys that, you know, you know, made that segue. And Jim uh, Brown, Fred the Hammer Jim Williamson. Brown. Right. We, look, we should do a podcast on that. In fact, I, I will take it under advice. We should do that on a podcast. But anyway, let, let's get to the first topic here. Uh, Samsung had their Galaxy Unpacked 2022 event um, yesterday. Um, the... You know, my reaction to these events, especially since all of this stuff is now being done virtually, this is the second year in a row that Samsung's doing it uh, virtually. Apple's been doing the same thing with their WWDC and all their um, events. Let me just start this off. I mean, especially the Samsung events. The Samsung events, and this is, I'm not talking about the, the actual ep, uh, content of what they announced. They have this, such a highly produced Hollywood-like feel I really like feel like I'm watching a Hollywood, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, a, uh, a commercial webinar, you know, that's pre-recorded. So, you know, let me start with uh, uh, Rob. Does that do you get that same reaction that it's they're overproduced or too slickly produced? Rob? Well, whether it's too slick or, or just right, the, the effect is the same for a journalist, which is you watch an infomercial. I mean, that's yes. what you and I saw this at CES, but you can actually show up, pick up the thing, see if it's any good, or at least does it feel good in the hand. Uh, right. You're getting more out of it than looking at some lavishly produced video where, you know, everything looks shiny, everything's great, it boots up on the first time, 
there's no awkward person in any apps launching. So yeah, you know, I'm going to MWC in just over two weeks. And usually in the before times, a Samsung Unpacked event will be yes. part of that. And you could sort of yeah. check out the hardware. You know, you would, of course, have to wait 20 minutes while a succession will do their you can learn how, how to say. Yeah, Rob, your audio cut out for a second, but I think I got the gist of what you were uh, saying. Uh, Stuart, your reaction to slickly produced infomercials from manufacturers. Well, I mean, this, this <laughs> obviously, this is nothing new. As a, as a journalist who often needs to cover these kinds of events, what annoys me more is that these are obviously not produced for journalists. Um, then, um, because they are streaming, they draw a lot of the general public to watch them. You know, I don't know what their viewership was, but obviously I would wager that more than half of them were non-journalists. If, if this was yeah. purely for journalists, then it would be packed full of make sure you get our name spelled correctly instead of just <laughs> flashing the name and title on the screen and pulling them back right away, leaving the specs on the screen for at least a reasonable period of time so we can write down what the hell yeah. the specs are. You know, I mean, the, inf the, the, the valuable information that a journalist needs is always like side-loaded. You know, you have to go wait for your email and wait for that to come through. Then you have to go to the website's page, actually get all the specs that you need. These are obviously... It, I, the production values I just don't care about because they're quite frankly there were events that I went to at CES years ago that would last an hour with product managers droning on forever on every little minute little detail. So the production value means nothing. Just give me the information I need so I can write the story without having to go to other sources for information. Well, I'm, I think uh, professors of journalism love that comment, you know, <laughs> just give me the facts, just give me the facts. But, you know, getting back to the event itself, you know, the, and it's always interesting because, you know, they do, it, the, Samsung routinely does this in the February time frame. Um, Apple obviously is probably going to refresh some of their phones over the summer, although they won't, they won't do their flagship phone until September if they follow their, their, their general cadence. And, you know, new phones, obviously faster you know, more, a huge more um, uh, extended emphasis on this computational photography path that, um, that both the manufacturers are going down in that, hey, I could actually replace a camera, um, a distinct discrete camera with a smartphone. You've been able to do that, I think, for the last two or three years. But now it's getting to the point now that um, the, the technology is so in incredible from a, from a professionalism standpoint that it's, it's actually hard, I think, in my, in my view, to do incremental features because, you know, you have to be substantially better in, you know, night photography or motion photography or whatever, um, uh, whatever mode you're using the, um, the camera to really demonstrate something that the customer can wrap their, their head around in terms of seeing the difference. So um, the, the other thing that kind of struck me about the announcement that uh, they announced new tabs, new, new um, uh, tablets, which um, some, a ginormous one, I think they, they announced what it was like. Yeah, which is larger than even the iPad Pro, the the, the, mm -hmm. the larger yeah, one. It's bigger than the screen on this laptop. Yes, yes. and they also announced, by the way, a, a keyboard-like product that kind of goes into like a laptop-like mode, very similar to what the um, iPad does with its um, uh, keyboard. But what jumped at you? Did, was there anything special, uh, Rob, that jumped at you from yesterday's announcement? Not really. I mean, this is a this is a mature product category. They're incremental up. 
Okay, so it's hard for people to, you shouldn't be that excited about it and you shouldn't feel bad about not being that excited about it. You know, smartphones have been around a while and, right. you know, barring some real laws of physics changing breakthrough in battery power, you know, it's little things. I mean, I upgraded my phone and honestly, the the biggest difference between the Pixel 5a I have now and the 3 I had before, the wide angle lens on the camera. Otherwise, same basic thing, you know, works the way it did before. It's nice to have 5G, but in everyday use, browsing the web, no. using apps, I can't tell the no. difference. No, just your 120 hertz screens, uh, uh, brighter screens, you know, not and not to say that those are features that customers wouldn't appreciate it, but there was nothing that was announced yesterday that said to you, you got to have it. Now, what I thought was interesting, I wrote about this in my blog yesterday, uh, they, they're giving away... Um, Galaxy, but their Galaxy Buds um, with pre-orders, which mm. which is actually you know their their earbuds um, are some of the are probably probably one of the better um, buds out there in comparison. They to could Apple. have put a headphone jack on the phone they're, too. They're really good. <laughs> I knew you were going to bring that up, Rob. Where's my headphone jack, Stuart? What did you think? Anything jump at you? Well, the only thing that jumped at me is obviously the Ultra is going to replace the Note, so they're blurring the the prosumer devices yeah. instead of separating it out. And the fact that the the stylus, the S Pen, is going to be integrated into the phone itself. Into the phone itself, yes. Uh, instead of having to snap on separately. And it, I think it will be the only smartphone with that kind of a feature. Obviously, there's the Apple Pencil, but that's really only usable with the iPads. But I, I want to be careful here from a in, pure industry point of view, not to mix, and you'll excuse the expression, apples and Samsung oranges. The, the, the S Galaxy line is a does not represent the totality of the Samsung phone line. In fact, it represents quite a small percentage of their annual sales. I think last year, uh, Samsung sold, I think, 230 million handsets or 270 million handsets, somewhere in that general vicinity, and only about 25 million of them were S phones. Um, so they make yeah. up actually a very, very small percentage, or not a very, very small, but a smaller percentage, certainly compared to Apple. In the Fourth quarter of last year, after the 13 was the iPhone 13 was introduced, Apple sold an estimated 80 to 85 million iPhones just during the quarter. So the, almost the totality of Apple's phone sales are its flagship models. Whereas for Samsung, the ma vast majority of their cell phone sales, smartphone sales, are their A line. So the yeah. event that they had yesterday is primarily exactly what it proposes to be it's here's what we can do but what people are actually buying from samsung at least much different and we also know from market statistics that the budget line phones around the world sell in far greater quantities than the flagship line so the world between android and apple is not only different from the operating system but the kinds of phones that people buy the mm -hmm. apple world which makes up about a third of the world market, 25% of the world market at its best. I think it was 23% last quarter. That's almost all premium phones. The rest of the industry is all sub $500 phones. And a great deal of that is sub $300 phones. No, and I, and I, that's a very insightful observation, Stuart, because, you know, Apple, like many things, they defy gravity when it comes to price points. You know, most normal companies sell more of the lower end stuff, the higher end stuff. I mean, that's, that's just a rule of marketing and price points and that wonderful rule called price elasticity. Apple typically, um, you know, overcomes that. In fact, if anything, 
you know, they've struggled to try to keep their lower end uh, phones, you know, um, relevant. The SC, now the rumors are they're going to they're refresh the SC with, uh, with 5G next month. Right. But, you know, typically people who buy an iPhone typically buy higher end models. So that's a very because sad. Because they don't make anything else. The SC sells, I don't know, 10 million units last year the s the, the last year's model of this yeah i think sold about right, that was two years old model million units it's only just, i like the last i like the way you said it, only 10 million only 10 million okay well but, that's yeah. about to quite frankly that's about as many units as samsung's fe model sell yeah. and it's being caught by rob was talking about it, unless there's something really earth-shakingly different foldable models quadruple the sales of fold models quadrupled right. last year and samsung alone i think is like 85 or 90 percent market share in the foldables market um their 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 fold phones sold about eight million units that's a that's a total guesstimate because they don't release those kinds of figures but we're thinking that they sold around eight million foldables so the foldable category which is something brand spanking new is beginning to make an impact and and a lot of other companies, I think all the Chinese makers are now either planning their first or about to introduce folding phones. And the rumors are still rife that maybe not this year, but next year, Apple. And once Apple yes. jumps into the foldable, now it becomes, the, you know, that's sort of the, the bona fide, you know, the imprimatur that will make the category real. So the fact that Samsung is selling almost as many foldable phones as it is their SE, their FE models, is I think telling for the industry and, and indicates the direction the industry may be going. Well, uh, we need to move to the next topic, but I can't wait till Apple announces their foldable phone and then makes the claim during the uh, announcement that they're the first ones to invent the foldable <laughs> phone. I, I, I will bet you money that will happen. Um, Rob, this is a topic that you brought up. You know, when, when you when we were exchanging emails back and forth uh, uh, yesterday. You want to talk a little bit about this FCC nutrition label, um, and uh, I think I, I think it's a good idea myself. But uh, would like to get you know why, why don't you educate the audience on this and uh, give us your view on that? So th this is a rule that the FCC is going to write that is will require internet providers to tell potential customers what they're going to get, which you'd think the market would see to, but it's common sense, America, right? It's not a competitive market. And so, for fun, I looked up what will Comcast offer. I, I don't think it's exactly uh, your address, Mark, but I think it's in at least the same neighborhood. So I'm looking <laughs> here. Uh, Xfinity, super fast. Internet, 600 megabits per second. Asterisk. Asterisk says 600 megabits per second. Download speed. Uh, below that, actual speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Wait, wait a minute. Where's the upload speed? What is it? Um, for more details, visit dataplan.xfinity.com. If you know that data plan is French for Comcast data cap, then you'd know that you're going to be stuck with a 1.2 terabyte data cap that at 600 megs down, you'll probably bust through pretty soon. And, and this, like the page itself is nicely designed. They hired someone who's reasonably good at graphic design. It's not telling me basic things I need to know as a customer. Right. Uh, and so you know, what is the uploads? Let me just figure it out. What do we have? Uh, probably oh, 19 or 20. This must be it. Xfinity Internet Broadband Disclosures. Let's see here. The network price. Uh, upload. Nope, not on that page. Wait a minute. Where is this? Uh, 
Stuart, what's your take on while while Rob is doing some searching? <laughs> well, usually, usually upload speeds are usually between fifteen to twenty-five megabits. Yeah, right. You you don't know, usually get any great variance in, in that in that area. But what strikes well, me funny that is management. that is that everything that Rob just said might have might as well have been in Klingon to the average consumer. Um, if they decide whatever they decide to put in this nutrition label is going to be indecipherable to most consumers. And I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. My wife works for a nonprofit and the Wi-Fi in the, in the thrift store that the nonprofit runs is God awful. So I said to my wife, take a picture of the label so I could see what equipment it is and I'll suggest how to improve it. Well, it turns out the Aris modem that they have is 10 years old and only oh. runs Wi-Fi 4. The, the router, for some reason, is of more recent vintage and runs Wi-Fi 5. And so I'm trying to explain to her the differences between Wi-Fi 4 and Wi-Fi 5, trying to explain the difference between a modem and a router, and trying to explain what each of those things do. Now, when you're talking about this level of basic information that those of us here is, is like pig Latin, I mean, it's just, we just understand that. Most consumers don't have a clue. If they, even if they put in their 600 megabits per second speed, most consumers would go, I don't know what that means. How many devices can I run on that? How, can I be running, watching a movie in 4K on Netflix while my son plays Minecraft online and my wife uh, work and does a Zoom call at the same time? None of these specs that I see listed, packet loss, um, legacy, um, uh, latency rate, None of these are in English to most consumers. So simply putting the label on doesn't help us. But, 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 you're, but you're making but you're, 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 you're making, you're making, you're making a point. Matter. Yeah. See, a lot of I guess and don't speak ahead, network terminology. Uh, you know, it's basic respect to the customer to tell what you're going to sell. I mean, here, here's my just put it in English. No, I, I don't see it. Rob, see, Rob, 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 guys, what the man, what the carriers and the ISPs will say, any label that you pull together, by definition, is going to have so many asterisks and so many um, exceptions to it that it's not going to be meaningful. Now, I don't buy that, by the way. I yeah. don't buy that. I, I think there's a, a baseline, three or four data points, to Stewart's point, that is digestible, that is understandable, that you should be able to put on a, a label. I mean, they've been able to solve this for food. For what, forty yeah. years, for fifty yeah. years, you know. So, I mean, you, you could, there are analogous um, uh, arguments you can make. Well, food labels shouldn't be, or could be, uh, could be misleading in some way. That, I, I think that you could get to three or four very digestible, very understandable metrics. Because I got to tell you, the moment you put on a label, go to this website to get more details or find the 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 the, the bird seed, the 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 um, caveats. You've lost you've lost the customer. So I, I agree. I, I agree with what you're saying, Stuart. I just hope, you know, uh, I hope they don't blow this up because I think it's a, I, I think it's a good idea. I just think they should agree so, to with those baseline will happen because this is actually now a legal requirement. The broadband infrastructure bill, the Internet, uh, IIJ, I forget what it stands for. Anyways, the infrastructure law includes a provision requiring that the FCC write this. So it's happening. The question is. What details do you want to put in? And it's fair to say, like, will packet loss mean anything to normal human beings? No. Maybe, no, maybe not. not. But the thing about a label is 
you can, once all the information is going to be in the same spot, wherever you shop, you can just tell people, look at this line. If it says anything under data cap, you've got a problem. Right. If the upload speed is not close to the download speed, maybe you don't want that if you work from home. And people manage to shop for food, even though they don't necessarily look at every single line on the food label, but people who want to know all those details can. And yeah, in a functioning market, you wouldn't need this. There isn't a nutrition label requirement for showing uh, fees for airlines, but airline, the airline industry is much more competitive than residential broadband in the United States. And so, you know, I certainly have no sympathy for internet providers who are going to complain that they have to devote people to put these labels together because if they could just tell people what they're going to buy, we wouldn't right. have gotten into this position. Right. And remember, well, a lot of the problem while. also is that there's such limited competition in some markets. There is just no other choice. So even if you know what you're going to get or what you're going to buy, it's not going to help you because that's the only thing you can buy. Mm -hmm. Right. That is a whole separate issue. But at least then you'll know what a bad deal you're getting up front instead of being surprised later on. Well, we, we could talk about this forever because uh, it's so funny that everyone, agree, uh, well, at least the three of us agree that this is a good, that, that at, a, at, a, at a high level, this Get is a good thing to happen. Nothing votes. It's all because, in the execution. Uh, yeah, devil, the devil's in the details. I was about yep. to exactly say that. This, I got, we got to get to this topic because we were talking about this before the podcast uh, started. You know, this revelation that 14 and 15 U.S. cabinet departments have bought the, uh, the unlocking technology from Celebrite, which is one of a few, several companies that have, has this um, hack, called a, a sophisticated hacking tools that, that agent, you know, the FBI has bought these tools. The, um, uh, gov uh, the governments, not just our government, but other governments have purchased this tool. I mean, I have to, you know, correct, you know, Stuart, um, Rob, because you're in the Lions Den down there in good old Washington, D.C. you got to help me with this because I used to think when I read the, you know, because I'm a pretty plugged in person when it comes to, you know, the, the way the federal government's supposed to work. Isn't just the Justice Department and the FBI, by extension, supposed to be the entity that is supposed to go out and get warrants and um, before you... Yeah, obviously go into a house. Because when Celebrite, this is this Israeli firm that they sell a box, yeah. you can plug an iPhone into it and basically take over the iPhone, regardless of all the features. Apple has built in iOS. Apparently they found workarounds. Uh, they they were not just about selling it to the FBI or presumably other three letter agencies, but, you know, local Anybody. departments, county police Anybody. departments. So I'm not super surprised that but I do have to wonder, you know, why? The Celebrate box is not the most expensive piece of kit you could buy, but this is not like a status symbol. It's not something you buy because the agency one block away in Independence Avenue also has one. That's not how it's supposed to work. Yeah, no, no I got that, Rob. I, I mean, isn't it kind of disturbing though? I'm Again, the topic here, you know, what a private individual does that could be against the law as well. Uh, you know, I, I don't know what the law would be on that. If I, I you know, if uh, Stewart went out and bought that Celebrite box and decided to use that on a on Rob because he just doesn't like Rob and he wants to find out what secrets he has I on his phone, I don't know. What I, I'm, 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 I suspect the law probably says you have to own the, you know, for this, that to be legal, you have to own the phone that you're, um, you know, you're using that tool with. My issue is that. Are, are, do we have cabin departments that are using that technology or other technologies uh, without getting warrants? That's the thing that really kind of 
you know, scares me, frankly, because that's not the way it's supposed to work. Uh, Stuart, your thoughts? Well, uh, according to the company itself, they have 2,800 government customers. And I also, from what I understand, that North America alone. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I mean well, Fish and Wildlife. Apparently, it works on both iPhone and Android, and yeah. the device has to be physically present to plug into the machine. So it's not like it could do anything remotely. Um, right. But I, to, to Mark's point, I agree 100%, but this is just one in a million cases of technology racing ahead of the law um, mm. and of government's inability to keep up with the law in terms of regulation and and the law so whether or not somebody needs a warrant to break into a phone i think this all stems from that san bernardino shooter and the fbi asking apple yes. to break into the shooter's phone and apple no, going no, 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 no protection so that it all stems from that and i don't think that the government has gone an inch into figuring out whether or not they need probable cause and i'm not a lawyer and i do not play one on a green screen um, whether or not they need probable cause, whether or not they need a warrant. Um, I don't think anybody in the law has figured this out. I think the only way that that's going to be adjudicated is if somebody, somebody who's arrested for a crime or held by Homeland Security in an airport and realizes that their phone has been broken into files suit because I think that is the only way that this is ever going to get to a court to adjudicate the legality yes. of this device being by the government. Right. And, 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 and Rob, the point you made uh, before the call and the point you made, Stuart, uh, a few moments ago is that this Celebrite tool requires you to have the phone physically. This Correct. is not a yeah. remote tool. Now, having said that, you know, there are companies out there that do have these intriguing remote um, uh, spyware yeah, tools that you, don't even, have to, you don't, don't even have to click on the link and your phone's infected and you don't even know you're, you're being surveilled. I think the question is, well, how many of those, how, how many of those uh, agencies have bought that technology? I mean, it, it, this story was about Celebrite. Didn't talk any, uh, and I don't believe in any detail about whether there's other, whether these cabinet departments have purchased these, you know, these remote tools that, that you guys were referencing. But that's the thing that concerns well, with, with me. NSO Group, we do know that from a story in the Washington Post where they, they were trying to get the FBI as a customer. And the FBI, I guess, did buy that to see, could we use work? it? Because... They did code their their spyware tool to not go after U.S. phones. It was just really fascinating set of stories the Post has done, basically pointing out how NSO sort of functioned as a uh, bit of a foreign policy tool for the Israeli government, where they could say, oh, you know, looks like you and the United Emirates are getting a little friendlier with us. If you do us this favor here, we'll sell you this tool you can use to go after your dissidents there. <laughs> uh, and they were trying to figure out could they get into the U.S. market. Celebrite is different because, yeah, you need physical access to the device. You need custody of it. But, yeah, 14 and 15 candidate departments. Uh, and, yeah, it is unclear. The, the story, by the way, is in The Intercept, theintercept.com. Y'all should read it because, yeah, I, I, as, as taxpayers, as people with interests in the Fourth Amendment, we should know what the heck these agencies are doing, spending taxpayer dollars to buy this tool that doesn't seem to have a whole lot of relevance, certainly for things like enforcing fish and wildlife laws. Well, <laughs> that's a, that's oh, a, maybe there's some very tricky uh, fish out there. <laughs> we got to hit, we got to hit the next topic, but just a reminder, um, Rob, don't, don't leave your phone unattended around Stuart because, you know, uh, you may, I never do. 
he, he may uh, he may already have got that celebrate tool in his, in his house somewhere. Um, this is an intriguing one. This actually is pretty big news. Uh, lots of in- implications, but the NVIDIA arm deal fell apart. Um, uh, lots of media reports is that's probably not a bad thing, honestly, you know, for a whole bunch of different reasons. But uh, let me, Stuart, let me start with you. Let me get your perspective on good, bad, you know. Well, it's, your, it's, it's NVIDIA is disappointed, but I think they should be thrilled that this fell apart because I think ARM is a little bit in trouble. They just, their, their owner, SoftBank, just um, appointed, I think they appointed a new CEO to the company. Um, he's talking about taking them public, but the biggest problem or the biggest issue in this whole deal and why NVIDIA should be happy about it and ARM should be unhappy is the rise of Risk Five, which is an open source uh, arch- uh, chip architecture um, that is being promoted by a lot of companies who I guess are tired of being dependent on ARM architecture. Just two days ago, Intel started a $1 billion fund for the development and advancement of RISC-V architecture. Um, And and so if RISC-V ends up getting a lot more support amongst the chip and device makers rather than ARM, ARM is in big trouble and NVIDIA will be happy that they really dodged a bullet here. Risk for those unfamiliar with it is short for reduced instruction set computing, not risk as in bad things. You that know is correct. Happen. Sorry, I should. Thank, thank, thank you for that education. <laughs> thank you, Rob. Thank you, Rob. Your your view? Uh, yeah. You know, I, I was trying to think of remember anyone who was happy to see news of Nvidia trying to buy ARM, and in this case. Yeah, you, you sort of want that company to be a little more like Switzerland and, and not be a subsidiary of some company that can then, that, you know, NVIDIA is, is huge in graphics chips. Uh, they are a big industry player in their own right. And so that that struck me as weird. And uh, I am surprised how quickly it fell apart. I mean, when did they announce it? This was, of course, I've lost all sense of time. It could have been two months ago. It would feel like two years. Um, when was this announced again? Oh, it was it was several months ago. It was the middle of last year, if I'm not mistaken. You know. Yeah, but usually people try to stick out, stick it out with making a merger happen for longer. I mean, AT and T spent a good year trying to make its T-Mobile purchase happen, and then they finally gave up on that. Yeah, I, you know, I think in some ways this is comparison comparable. If Nvidia had made this deal, it may have ended up the way that the Time Warner. Atari deal ended up right. that it, that it, Atari might have been, <laughs> you know I mean guy. Atari wanted more control over the industry and enlarge itself but they might have been buying it if they'd bought it it might have been a ticking time bomb if risk five ends up being adopted by a large you know by everybody who's right now using ARM architecture in their chips right and it's interesting because you know the Nvidia thing. And, and NVIDIA is obviously a massive company and, you know, they're, they're placing big butts and investments in the, in the auto space. They've been a legend um, in, in computer graphics and other uh, product categories. This very well could have been a major distraction for them. Even if, even if you could agree that the deal was intelligent and it was accretive in the sense that it grew NVIDIA's reach into a space that they may not, you know, have a natural um, foray into, you know, to the point you're making, sir, I think is a reasonable one in that this this could be a, a blessing in disguise, you know, the way the, the, the way the, the, the chips are falling on this. Any last thoughts? 
Rob, any last thoughts? Uh, you mentioned SoftBank, and you know that they don't have the best record of uh, stewardship of <laughs> properties or, or tech-related properties. So, um, yeah, I'm not sure Arm has the best set of owners right now, but they're going to have to figure it out. Yeah, they are. Well, let's let's get to the last topic here. This is, you know, I, I we promised John, who's not on the podcast, that we talk about this, and that is the ongoing Joe, Joe Rogan Spotify saga. Um, I think it's amusing to, to a degree. Um, I just saw the news this morning that he turned, Rogan turned down the, um, what's it, Rumble? Didn't Rumble uh, yeah. offer him $100 million, the same type of deal? And he turned it down officially. Um, you know, my viewpoint on this is that, you know, Spotify as a public, uh, as a private company can have whoever they want to on the podcast. And, you know, people, uh, you know, people are, are, are given the, the, um, the leeway to opine and say, well, you know, we think that Spotify, you should drop this guy because you don't like the content of their podcast. That's completely reasonable. Um, however, having said that, you know, there is, you know, even with the private companies that are, you know, managing the um, availability of this content and, you know, obviously Spotify is probably the big, uh, the big one in the, in the podcast space along with Apple. You know, I, again, I get a little bit nervous around the fact, or you know, are especially when you have, you know, um, uh, you have, um, you know, music legends weighing in saying, "Well, if you don't kick this guy off, you know, you're going to take me off the, uh, the podcast." Now, 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 in this particular situation, we talked about this last week. You know, this was a business decision first and foremost. Joe Rogan has a bigger, uh, a substantially bigger following than some of these other these music um, legacy music guys that were complaining about. I don't like his content. It's either he or, or or me. That kind of thing. But I do think that the issue about you know about is this censorship? Is this? Um, and I know that's hard. To, you know, that's it's hard to frame it in a public in a private context because they can have on the other podcasts whoever they like, but. I get a little bit nervous about the 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 um, the free speech aspects of this. So, with that, let me start with Stuart and get his uh, opinion. Well, I I agree with everything that you say, and the thing that we're working in a little bit in the dark here because we don't know what the contractual relationship between Spotify and Joe Rogan is, whether or not Spotify has any control or input into the content of the show, and whether or not there are any penalties involved. And I think. The, if Joe Rogan is sincere in his apologies about the misinformation, the COVID misinformation and his use of the N word and that whole planet of the apes contretemps, uh, that <laughs> maybe Spotify should at least, if they don't have any control over his <laughs> advise that he bring on Neil Young is against that he bring on Andra Arya as uh, India. Uh, I can't get her name right. Sorry. Uh, as it was, it, was it Joan Baez and she complained? Uh, it could be, in other words, in, instead of simply apologizing for being a dick, um, I don't think that they should get rid of him because, again, I think whenever you tell somebody don't look, you cause them more problems. For instance, Whoopi yes. Goldberg being suspended from The View was idiotic. I'm a Jew, and that was an idiotic thing to do. You want dialogue. You don't want punishment. It was just dumb, and I think that's the same case here. You give him the opportunity to bring people on from the other side who obviously have a disagreement with him and let them have the conversation, especially since the conversation they're going to have is going to be heard or seen by people who agree with Joe Rogan most of the time and would open up the dialogue. So yeah, I, I, I think the solution is don't take him off, 
don't leave him alone, but encourage him to bring on these other voices, even if it's just to berate him. You know, Stuart, yep. you're a very erudite man. Even though I don't agree with your baseball affiliation, you're a very, very articulate <laughs> guy. And, you know, really, you know, only because this does have a segue into the whole Whoopi Goldberg thing to a degree, because I do think that was idiotic for the, to kick her off uh, while they suspended her for two weeks. Right. They're probably going to bring her back. I don't think she's going to get fired. Oh, no, she I won't. Mean, but just think, that was just dumb. No, that was a window dressing. That was all ABC. We're doing something, you know. And, and the reality is, is that when someone makes an, a, an absolutely asinine comment like she did, to me, the idea is, it's you know, um, I, used, I used to work for a CEO who used to say, you know, uh, sunshine was the greatest antiseptic because when you see stupid stuff like that, you don't want to hide it because, hey, let the world see it and let the world make their evaluation on the, the idiocy or the insight of, of, of something like that. So, mm-hmm. Rob, what's your view on this whole Joe Rogan Spotify saga? Yeah, you know, I, I can see why spot they're not going to get rid of them because because first of all, their basic business model, you know, why do they why do they spend a hundred million dollars to get a podcast? Because <laughs> that's easier to monetize. You can run ads on it that have right. really high value. You don't have to license the content. Uh, you know, one record label at a time. You know, Spotify, everything it's got to be a deal with one label, one artist. There's no compulsory license like what you have that that allows a non-interactive service like Pandora to operate at a slightly lower cost. Um, mm. But yeah, I think the answer is, you know, I certainly hope that, you know, in, in that quiz, I apology Joe Rogan did two weeks ago saying like, you know, I have had people on the podcast like um, Peter Hotez, the vaccine scientist from uh, Baylor, um, Sanjay Gupta and so on, get more people like that on. I hope people are taking, if they're getting those invitations, they're accepting them. Uh, I hope that's also true of climate scientists, since apparently he had another climate change denier on just yesterday, I guess. I can't keep up with this stuff. Um, and yeah, in the meantime, if artists don't like being associated with them, God bless them. That's completely the right to say, because of the way Spotify runs, they can say, you know, it's me or him. And if you're not going to get rid of him, then you don't get my music. They can take it off immediately. Yes, and Spotify has to comply. That's the free market at work. And, you know, as long as I'm not getting to Spotify by typing Spotify.gov, this is not a free speech issue. <laughs> no, I, I, I agree with everything you just said. And it, it, to me, it's just amusing. You know, it's amusing, amusing that no one complained when Barry Manilow said, you know what, it's either me or you got to kick off Joe Rogan. Oh, that wasn't Barry Manilow. That was probably somebody else. So, <laughs> yeah, it, it's kind of interesting. I, I, mean, I don't know where this ends up, but I, I, I just think that um, – the way you get to, um, you know, the solution to me to, to bad speech is more free speech. I, I just think that more transparency about different points of view. You know, typically the, the, the people who have opinions that can't be substantiated or they're off the charts, they tend to become, you know, almost irrelevant, frankly. Because the, 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 the Rogan's to apologize. The, the COVID misinformation apology, you know, the 10 minutes or so, and that one for using the N-word, there did seem to be a recognition that, yeah, okay, I was wrong. Yeah. He actually used more colorful. We subject to FCC jurisdiction. Can I say the F word here? Because he did a lot <laughs> in the second one. You know, if you're saying I'm not racist, then you fucked up. Well, it's, so, it's going to be. You know, <laughs> I, I hope you, you're never too old to learn or, or too rich to learn, Mr. Rogan. So I hope you're prepared to do that.
Well, I wish my podcast had the weight where I could say, you know what, Apple, you, you know, you, you uh, don't kick off this guy and, you know, uh, you can't keep my podcast. I suspect that probably arguing would not go very far. But guys, listen, thanks for taking the time to join me for today's podcast. For our viewing and listening audience, um, thank you for making the Smart Tech Tech podcast part of your day or commute for that matter. Uh, please make sure that you hit the like and subscribe buttons at the end of today's podcast. And don't forget to f- follow me on Twitter at Mark Vina Tech Guy. And until next time, have a great week and go Bengals. That's who I'm going to be rooting for. Got to go for the underdog. <laughs> okay. Thanks, guys. Go ahead. <laughs>